Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And today, we also have a guest joining us today, Mr. Zev Orenstein. Yeah, dude, Zev, I got to meet while we were in uh, Israel just a, a, a few months ago. Zev is the Director of International Affairs, which I'm going to actually, I want that to be my new pastor title. The pastor, no, the pastor of International Affairs. Doesn't that have a nice vibe to it? Yeah, it rolls really nice. Uh, I had a, it was super fortunate and super blessed because um, some mutual friends here in town, uh, Dave Ramsey, Don Miller had met Zev uh, previously. And I don't know, it might've been like a week before we were going to Israel and Don's like, Hey bro, I want you to meet my buddy Zev and I'm going to introduce you. And, um, and he did. And that was right before that was that literally was like what, weeks, if not the week before lockdown and quarantine oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. COVID. Like while we were in Israel, um nobody knew yet well, I, that's not true. Some people knew, they just weren't telling it apparently, like yeah. uh, the conspiracy people. But uh I mean I was walking around Israel singing my corona, right, to the tune of my Sharona because I had no idea <laughs> what was coming. Now I feel kinda of bad about that. But that was uh yeah, so February. Um, leading right up to March, yeah. and our uh, the group that went with us, um, we started at City of David. Uh, I went thinking uh, Hezekiah's tunnel. So I didn't get to do that the first time I went to Israel, uh, and I wanted to be able to do that. And Hezekiah's tunnel is right there in the Bible, and it's the tunnel that went under the city, the tunnel that was able to you know. There's all kinds of biblical stories about this, and so that's what that, I thought that was going to be the highlight of it. And this was your second time to visit Israel. Yeah. First time you went by yourself or on a, on a kind of a solo trip. Yeah. And then this time you got to take Shannon with you. Yeah. This was great. The, the, yeah. First time I had like about a week's notice. Uh, my, my buddy, Brian Harden, daily audio Bible, they had an opening and, um, and I actually didn't, it was like a week's notice and it was over Thanksgiving. So I had told him no, cause it's Thanksgiving and, and I, I sort of home floated by my wife and said, you know, I was, I thought I was being super noble, right? She's going to be like very, yeah, you're right. Be home for Thanksgiving. She's like, have you lost your mind? No, yeah, go to Israel. Go to Israel. Like all you got to do is pay for your airfare. And, you know, yeah. So I went to Israel. Um, and it was, it was, oh God, it was life changing, which is why I wanted to take some of our church family with us. Uh, I just wanted to experience what we experienced and, it turns out we got to experience even more than what I had experienced because, uh, you know, Catherine, uh, our, our guide was just incredible. And again, she started this with city of David. Uh, and then, but what was cool and I really feel bad. So for you guys that were on the trip with us that went home, I promise I didn't know this, but I couldn't, I couldn't have got you in any way, I guess, because it wasn't that much room, but we, we were able to get because of Zev a, uh, trip to a part of Israel that's not open to the public yet. Um, like cover of national geographic in January. Like this is a somewhat controversial thing happening where they have discovered, and Zev's going to talk a little bit about this, right? Um, but it was amazing. Like I, uh, I got straight up emotional when you walk on roads and I know that I know God's everywhere. I get, I totally, I could academically, I could explain that all the way. But spiritually, I experienced something in that tunnel. 
you know, knowing cool. this is where Jesus healed the blind man, the pool of Siloam. This is the road that the disciples took. This is the road that the people would take. It's Yom Kippur, right? This is the, the road that the people would have taken for the sacrifice that was going to be made at the temple. So, so yeah, that's Zev. He got us in on all that stuff. Yeah. I've not been to Israel yet. Can't wait to go. I know, and, dude. Uh, you know, once all of this corona is behind us, I know we got another trip kind of in the making yep. uh, and, and setting up for maybe late 21 or early 22. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening right now, I, I, I seriously had done this like about a week and a half ago, had reached out to a couple of people because I'm like, you know, we're all kind of in suspended animation right now sure, and, yeah. and none of us love it. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, we're, we're going to do some stuff in faith. So I've actually reached out. We're already starting to try to get something planned out. I'm seeing if Catherine can be a part of it. And as soon as we get dates, uh, the people uh, of conduit, you'll be the first to know. Um, we'll probably only have room for 25 or 30 again. So like when we get the dates, you're going to want to jump on it fast because it'll go, I'm pretty sure it'll go really fast this time, but that's coming uh, soon. Yeah, so enjoy this. Uh, from Jerusalem, Zev Orenstein uh, on the Deeper Podcast. So today uh, is exciting for me. My wife's actually going to be super bummed that she's not here today. In fact, she told me she was because uh, I'm actually getting the chance to talk to Zev Orenstein for the first time since uh, March. Um, Zev is the uh, International Relations. Is that the technical title that you are, Zev? Director, Director of International, International Affairs. International Affairs, even even better, for City of David, which is right uh, smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem, and we had a privilege of getting to spend not just uh, a day. It was actually the first stop on our trip was City of David, but the last stop on my trip there was actually getting to spend the day with Zev, uh, just a couple of us. And, and so anyway, I'm just super grateful and excited to have you with us today. Thank you. And I know it's like the day after Yom Kippur in Israel. How are you guys doing? We've eaten. So, you know, we're, <laughs> That's we're a win. Good, right. And uh, we, we believe according to our tradition that uh, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement is, is when we are all, uh, our judgment is sealed for the year. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. Followed, it begins a 10 day period of repentance uh, you know, the Jewish New Year is different than, let's say, watching the ball drop in Times Square where everyone's partying. And uh, it's a 10-day period that's very full of introspection, uh, soul searching, trying to make things right between, uh, you know, ourselves and our neighbors who we may have uh, hurt over the course of the year and in our relationship with, with God. And uh, But our faith, you know, the way we go about it is at the end of uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, we believe that we've been forgiven and sealed for a good year. And so today was the first day, hopefully, of, uh, of, a, of a good year, a better year than this past year, hopefully, for all of us. So that's like a good feeling then, right? Like, is it, is it like, does it feel like a reset when you've hit delete and you're starting over on something? Or is it more like I've cleaned up some stuff on something that just continues? Well, well, I think that the Bible actually gives us an answer to that because we are, if you take the, the American calendar cycle, you have, let's say, Thanksgiving, and then Thanksgiving leads into uh, Christmas season. And then after Christmas, you have New Year's and you have this five-week uh, window of just the holiday season in the U.S. So we have something similar in Israel, which is basically from Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, uh, until after Sukkot or the Festival of Tabernacles, you basically have a month-long period of just holidays. And Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, 
the Day of Atonement, it's very intense. It's a lot of prayers in synagogue. It's a lot of focusing on repentance and judgment, not our judgment, but God judging us and, and uh, deciding our fate for, for the upcoming year. Uh, but then you come to the Festival of Tabernacles. And what the way I view that is God basically says to us for a week, when we just live in huts, basically, we live in these booths outside of our home and we just hang out with God where God basically says, look, like you've spent like a really intense, almost two week period focusing on repentance and, and fixing and introspection. And now I just want you to hang out with me that one of the things that it, the Bible talks about when it comes to the festival of tabernacles is you're supposed to live in it for, for seven days. And what does it mean to live in it? Live in it, eat, sleep, drink, uh, you know, watch football, uh, read books, whatever it is, and it's all in the service of God. And so it's it's actually the opposite in a certain sense of the intensity of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where God is just saying, just be with me. You know, we're, we're done with the intensity. We've all been sealed, God willing, for, for a good, healthy year. And now let's just enjoy each other's company. Uh, and And so... Right now, we're in the process. Earlier this evening, I was building the, the tabernacle uh, outside our, our, our home, uh, you know, our little makeshift tabernacle, obviously not the big one in the Bible, yeah, yeah. but, uh, you well, know, it's a special, special time of year. Do you go to, like, REI for that? Like, where, like when you say a tent, tabernacle, like, where do you go? So we, we, got, we got a porch, and so years ago, we measured the porch, and we bought wooden panels that go around the porch and we then have beams and we put bamboo mats on top and so uh we have a wooden hut with a bamboo roof the idea is it's not supposed to be a permanent structure the idea is in a certain sense we're, we're saying to god we're putting our faith in you we're not going to go and you know for a week now we're going to go and live in a simple hut and just be with you uh and we have faith that you'll take care of us and uh in Israel, it's usually uh, a, a nice time of year to be outside doing that. When I grew up in, in the U.S. and New Jersey, uh, there were times we were going out in October in our winter coats, and, and it was freezing. Wow. Uh, but, but, but that's not the way it is in Israel. Sometimes it's, it's, it's very hot, but, you know, the, 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 the holidays, the biblical holidays, they go according to the agricultural calendar that is lined up with the land of Israel. When it says in the Bible that Passover is in the spring and, and tabernacles is in the, in the fall already, it's, it's based on the agricultural cycle in the land of Israel, not in Tennessee or New Jersey or London or wherever. It's how the holidays are meant to fall out at a certain time of year in Israel. And so it's actually, you bring up an interesting point which is that you're not born and raised in Jerusalem, but you're like a Jersey guy, right? So through no fault of my own, uh, I was born in New Jersey. Uh, I like to say that I'm originally from, from Jerusalem, but uh, the Romans, unfortunately, 2,000 years ago, exiled my family, uh, and not a day went by over the next 2,000 years where uh, members of my family did not say repeatedly throughout each day and, and throughout the year, uh, that ne next year in Jerusalem, we're going to go home. Uh, and that was a hope, a dream, a prayer for thousands of years until we were able to uh, actualize that, obviously with the reestablishment of, of the state of Israel. But uh, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey and uh, went to, through college, I was in the US. And then after college, I was able to uh, 
to leave one of the greatest countries that, that God has uh, helped create uh, in the world, the United States of America, and go to another of the greatest countries that God has created in this world, which is Israel. Can you trace your family lineage? I'm actually curious about that. It's like, so a friend of mine that I've, uh, um, gosh, I'm about to sound like a name dropper. I've just dropped Donald Miller. I, I actually, Don Miller is who I met you through Dave Ramsey. But one of my friends here in town is a guy named Jay Seculo who traces his lineage um, through Europe. Uh, his family were immigrants here. He told me once that, uh, you know, for him, it's the ultimate story to be an immigrant in the United States and to become a lawyer for the president of the United States. You know, that's like such an American story. Um, whether someone loves Trump, whatever, you know, that that's a story, right? The American. What is your family lineage that ended up in, in, in Jersey from Israel? From And for those listening that maybe you don't know that, like, that's true. That happened, you know, 2000 years ago, Rome ransacked your people, your nation, your cities, removed everybody, changed the name of it to Palestine, not as a compliment. And so you guys were scattered into the nations. Like where, where was your family scattered to? I mean, over the last number of centuries, it was largely Europe, similar to what you were just talking about, Jay Sekulo, uh, you know, Poland, Russia, uh, you know, various stops along the way. I mean, one, one of the, uh, I don't know, sad or tragic parts of, of Jewish history is, we're in a place for, you know, a couple of decades, maybe a century or two, and things usually then uh, turn sour at some point, and we just move on. Uh, and for 2,000 years, that was Jewish history, literally just going from one place to the next, uh, always a minority wherever we went. And one of the most amazing things about Jewish history uh, is our ability to to remain, to endure, that you want to see the testament, the the truth of God's word, you look at Israel, you look at the Jewish people, because unlike, let's say, uh, Christianity, where what do you have, 2.3 billion of you uh, in the world? Give or take. Uh, right, give or take a couple of hundred million. Uh, you know, on a good day, there's 13, 14 million Jews in the world. And it's, it's not, you know, we shouldn't be here by pretty much any statistical method uh, that you take. The Jewish people should not exist today. And the fact that we are here and the fact that we have returned to our homeland, that we have sovereignty, that Jerusalem is our capital, that, you know, the words of the Bible that, that speak of uh, from, from Zion will go forth the Torah, the, the, the word of God uh, and the word of God from Jerusalem. I mean, you see that it, it's real, that for, for two and a half thousand years, almost 2000 years, that that wasn't the case. Uh, and you see today that that is the case, that that the desert is blooming, the ingathering, the exiles is happening. Uh, the Hebrew language, which was a dead language, uh, has come back to life. Uh, it, it's You literally see the, the fulfillment of prophecy happening once you set foot in Israel. doesn't mean Israel's a perfect country. I'll be the first one to say uh, we still have our challenges. Uh, we are not there yet, uh, but we do have God's blessing upon us. The fact that we were able to be a scattered people amongst the nations, and yet maintain our faith and God maintains his faith to us in and in us. And, and here we are. Hey Zeb, it's Mo jumping in here and you've met Darren in Israel, correct? That's Through right. the organization of city of David. Can you tell right. us a little bit about the organization? What, what that even is? So city of David, it is Jerusalem. 
But here's the amazing thing. When people think of Jerusalem, if, if everyone listening to this podcast, whether they've been to Israel, they haven't been to Israel, and you said, listen, close your eyes and imagine Jerusalem of the Bible. What do you see? And maybe they'll say, well, we see the Western Wall. Maybe we see the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, the Garden Tomb, whichever way uh, you know people go, uh, the old city walls. And the amazing thing is, when you think of the Jerusalem of the Bible, the Jerusalem of King David, King Solomon, King Hezekiah, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they weren't hanging out in the old city. And yet up until 150 years ago, when people thought, where is the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David? Everyone was looking for it in the wrong place. Everyone thought it was the old city of Jerusalem until the year 1867 when Queen Victoria of England wants to discover the treasures of the Bible, like the Ark of the Covenant. She sends a man by the name of Captain Charles Warren to the Holy Land to find those treasures. And if you're going to search one place in the Holy Land to find the treasures of the Bible, you'll go to Jerusalem. And if you're going to search one place in Jerusalem, you'll go to the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah. And that's what Charles Warren does in 1867, except at that time, the Ottomans, the Muslims were ruling the area. They said, Charles, we're sure you are a great guy, but you're not going to dig up the Temple Mount. So Charles Warren said, if I can't dig on the Temple Mount, I'll do the next best thing, which is to dig near it. So he comes down the slopes of Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, which today is the home of the Dome of the Rock, the Golden Dome, uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the number three holy site for Islam. And he comes down the slopes of the Temple Mount. Of course, the reason why it's called the Temple Mount is because that's where the Temple of Solomon stood. That's where the second temple also stood. Uh, he comes down the slopes of Mount Moriah, and he ends up making a number of discoveries, which we'll, we can get into in a little bit, but making a number of discoveries, which leads him to a theory that the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David, is in fact the place where Jerusalem began, located outside the walls of the old city, just south of the Temple Mount. Except when he announces it to the world, everyone thinks he's crazy because there's nothing there. Except over the next 150 years, it turns out that Charles Warren was in fact correct, that the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David, is located just outside the walls of the old city, 11-acre ridge. And uh, it is today one of the most archaeologically excavated sites in the world where every day we're unearthing antiquities, fancy word for old stuff, that shows that the biblical heritage of Jerusalem my heritage, your heritage, is not simply a matter of faith, but a matter of fact. That was, um, so our group that went to uh, Israel back in, in February and you know, right in March, and that was such a strange time anyway, because Corona had just started getting known a little bit and there was a little uncertainty, but of course, none of us, uh, of course, none of us foresaw any of this. Um, but I, I say that though, more focusing on that, that was our first stop. And I hadn't, I hadn't even gotten to meet you yet. So without any Zev spin at all, I walk into city of David with, uh, with my group and thought, man, I think every tour group that goes to Israel should start their trip with city of David and then end it with city of David, because it was like the perfect bookend for us to, you know, walk into this beautiful place. It just, you know, and you don't have to make any comment about other sites. There are lots of sites in, in Israel, varying degrees of authenticity or whatever, but you walk in like, okay, but we know this is it. Like, there's no question what this is. And man, there was just a, there's just a feeling when you walked in 
and that it was just unique and special and spiritual. And, you know, I, I think I speak for everybody in our group that they, they didn't want to leave um, that day. They probably would have spent the whole week. Let me ask you this question. The, you, Cause you said it, that the Bible, this proves it, whatever, which has been a huge part of in my young faith, especially learning that archeology span and how it's confirmed by the Bible or the Bible confirms the archeology. span There's not contradictions in that, but, how has the Bible itself guided you guys, your teams of archaeologists, when you make decisions for your digs, like going back as far as 1867, whatever, but you told some stories while we were there of, hey, they just saw this in the Bible and thought, well, then we better dig here because that's where the Bible says it would be. And then it was there. So archaeology, first and foremost, is, is a science. So when you have archaeologists from the Israel Antiquities Authority uh, which is the body that oversees all archaeology in Israel. The archaeologists are affiliated with various universities uh, in Israel and also all over the world. So these are scholars, they're scientists. Everything that they find has to be able to be verified from a scientific academic perspective. With that said, there is a spectrum within the world of archaeology, certainly archaeology in the land of Israel, which uh, basically, you fall into a spectrum. The spectrum goes from one side, which is biblical maximalists, and the far end of that is biblical mim minimalists. So a biblical minimalist will basically say, they're one famous school, they're known as the Copenhagen School. And they basically say, look, uh, I'm going to simplify this a bit. The Bible is basically like Harry Potter. It's a book written by people. It's not necessarily God's word about anything. Some people wrote this book with varying degrees of accuracy, uh, but just like you wouldn't look into Harry Potter to determine where to conduct an archaeological excavation, why would you use the Bible? Hmm. Then on the other side of that spectrum are the biblical maximalists who say the Bible is a historic document, and when we are deciding where to dig and also how to interpret findings of what, what's being discovered in these excavations, the Bible is an invaluable resource. If the Bible says that in a certain place uh, this event happened and all of a sudden you begin uncovering remains that seem to corroborate the biblical, uh, the biblical story, well, why wouldn't you then say, well, let's use the Bible and understand what we're finding? And so those are the two spectrums. One of the discoveries that, that we got to see together goes back to 2005. 2005, a woman by the name of Dr. Elat Mazar, a world-renowned archaeologist. She's from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. She comes into our visitor center and says, you need to move your offices. We asked her why. She said, beneath your feet, you will find the remains of the palace of King David. Now, it's one of those moments. What do you say to that? You know, pe people have been digging uh, in the city of David at that point nearly 150 years. No one's ever said that before. So we said, Dr. Mazar, what makes you so certain that this is the place? So first, first she says, very simply, the city of David is a city on a hill. If you have a city on a hill, where will you find the palace? At the top of the hill. Where we're standing, where our visitor center was, was the top of the city of David. She says, this is where you'll find the palace. So we said, Dr. Mazar, that's a great theory, but maybe 3,000 years ago, during the time of David, maybe people built their palaces in the middle of the hill. Maybe they built it at the bottom of the hill. We're not going to move our visitor center simply because were you to be queen today, you would build your palace right where we're standing. What else do you have for us? So she shows us something that was discovered in the 1960s. 
which was a royal Phoenician capital. Phoenicia is modern-day Lebanon. A capital is something that would have stood atop a column in a fancy building. If you imagine some like Roman Colosseum kind of thing, and you have these columns with these fancy stonemason work on top of it. So she says that one of those was found in Jerusalem, dating back 3,000 years or so. And she says that it proves that where we're standing was in fact the location of King David's palace. So we said, Dr. Mazar, what does a, a royal Phoenician capital have to do with where King David built his palace? So she says to us, if you knew the Bible, like I know the Bible, you wouldn't ask questions like that. So we said, well, please enlighten us. <laughs> so she says, if you, know, if you look in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, after King David conquers Jerusalem and makes it his capital, it says, King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David with cedar logs, carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. So Dr. Mazar says, why do we find a royal Phoenician capital in the city of David? Because it was the Phoenicians who built David's palace. When you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life in a way that you just don't get in New Jersey or Tennessee or anywhere else. Wow. So Zev, let me ask you this though. What Are there any finds that have been confirmed what the Bible said that maybe previously was considered suspect by, you know, secular archaeologists or historians, something where they've come back around where the Bible has proven to be true. Well, you know, if you were going to think, what could I find going back to biblical times that would be, you know, irrefutable, right. that you could be the biggest skeptic, atheist, whatever, what could you find that would just be unquestionable? So I want to give you uh, a, an example of something. You know, in ancient times, if you wanted to send a correspondence, a, a secure message, you didn't have email, you didn't have WhatsApp or iMessage, you would have to write your letter. You would then roll it up and tie it up. You couldn't, you know, depending on where the message was going, you might not have been able to deliver it yourself. You may have had to entrust it to a messenger. But how are you going to know if the messenger is faithful? So what are you going to do? After you roll up that letter, you're going to tie it up. And before you hand it to the messenger, you're going to take a small piece of clay and put it on the knot. And while the clay is soft, you're going to take your ring. And the ring on your finger has your name and then son or daughter of your father's name. You stick the ring into the clay. You then hand that letter to the messenger. The messenger delivers it. And when the message is delivered, what's the first thing you're going to look at when you get that letter? What are you looking at? Seal. What are you looking for in the seal? The legitimacy. Well, like who the it's from. Yeah. The name. And also if it's broken, because ah. if the seal is cracked, well, then you got a problem, right? You kill the messenger, right? But if the seal is intact, then you know nobody's read your mail. So Dr. Mazar, over the course of a number of years excavating in the area of the city of David, she's found a number of these small clay seals with names on them, written in Hebrew, wow. ancient Hebrew script. And I want to share uh, a recent one. This goes back about four or five years. The name on the seal, which I'm sure all of your listeners have heard of, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. The wow. biblical King Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David himself. Now you say, well, what about the skeptics? So I remember, I think it was in the UK, I think it was in the Independent, uh, very left-wing paper. So they had one guy who... He was, I think, the last holdout on the planet where he was like, this doesn't prove anything. 
All this proves is that there was another guy named Hezekiah who also happened to be a king who had the same father's name, but it doesn't mean it was the biblical one. You're like, really? Because at a certain point, <laughs> the person who actually believes what it says in the Bible is far more rational than the guy who is just denying at that point. Right. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, to, not to stop the story there, uh, last year, the same Dr. Mazar announces the discovery of another seal found just a few feet away from where she found that one. And the name on that seal is Isaiah, is the first line. Second line has nearly the complete word in Hebrew, prophet. Now, wow. of course, wow. Hezekiah and Isaiah were contemporaries, right? They were living at the same time. They were hanging out together. Uh, you know, I, I call them the biblical Batman and Robin dynamic duo, uh, you know, fighting crime and, and saving Jerusalem uh, in their spare time. Uh, and we have the seals for both of them. They were real people. You could believe in the Bible. You cannot believe in the Bible, but you have physical evidence dating back to the right place at the right time, the right people. And at a certain wow. point, at a certain point, it takes more effort to deny that than to just say, wait a minute, whether or not you choose to live your life as if there's a God and the Bible is, is, is God's mandate for how we should live our lives that's everyone can make that decision for themselves but at a certain point to deny the events and figures of the bible in the face of incontrovertible archaeological evidence yeah. uh, at a certain point it gets a little bit silly yeah i mean there's nobody out there finding harry potter's stones right because that right. is fake okay let me ask you this question because I've, I've actually thought about this a few times since i was there with you at some point, somebody says, okay, let's give this a try. Let's, we got to dig up. Like, we're, did you guys, like, they bulldoze the visitor center? And, like, that's, a, that's some serious cojones, man, to just, like, literally, we're going to knock this over and just assume that there's something under it. Like, who had the, like, who was the one whose uh, head was in the clamp for that decision? So we're, we're very blessed with the, the founder of, of uh, the City of David Foundation. Uh, his name is David Berry, David Berry, uh, almost like named after the, the original David. Works out. And he, he is someone who not only is a visionary, but he is also uh, a man of action. And uh, when he believes in something, he finds a way to bring it to fruition, bring it to reality. And so the story of the City of David is a place that, 30 plus years ago, there were no visitors to the city of David. And if you go back about 20 years, 15 years even, we had about 20, 30,000 visitors a year. Uh, 2019, we finished with a million visitors. Uh, and that's in large wow. part to the significance of the archaeological discoveries that have been made, that people from all over the world of all faiths and backgrounds want to connect with what is being unearthed. Uh, you know, Jerusalem has significance. Jerusalem has, has touched virtually every civilization. Now, now, Darren, I know that you, in your work, you travel all over the world uh, and, and play to communities that, that most people never get to see. I'm, I'm guessing you could tell me, uh, if I'm mistaken, that even those communities, they've probably heard of Jerusalem. Oh, yes. Yes. In the most remote places on the planet, even those who don't have a copy of their own Bible, there's at least going to be a community of Bibles. Like we um, I guess we can say this on the podcast. So we, how do we say this? We have been a part of make, getting Bibles into places where they're illegal. Let's just say that um, at great risk to the people that, uh, to that, those people. And they know where Jerusalem is. 
because it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? right. Like yep. Jerusalem permeates the scriptures. So yeah, of the, what we say, what did we say? It was 2.3 billion, give or take 200 million, right? Like right. they all know. Yeah. And so it's an amazing thing that people want to connect to Jerusalem. There's a story, uh, you know, a few decades ago, uh, Israel began bringing back the, the lost Jewish uh, tribes that were in uh, Ethiopia. And so anyone who's visited Israel, they would see that there is a, a very sizable Ethiopian Jewish community in the country. The amazing thing about the Jewish people and Israel in general, uh, there's no one kind of Jew. You have white Jews and black Jews and yeah. Oriental Jews and Asian Jews and African Jews. And, uh, you know, we've been scattered all over the world. Uh, we're one family, but but lots of different branches of that family. And there's a story that, that was told about uh, the Jews of Ethiopia, that they were essentially cut off from the Jewish people going back to the first temple period uh, shortly after, um, you know, around 2,700 years ago with the exile of the, the kingdom of Israel. And when they were exiled, there was still a temple standing in Jerusalem, the temple of Solomon. And when they were brought back to Israel, they were still under the understanding that the temple of Solomon was still standing. And there's a story told that, that, when they were getting educated, almost caught up on, on 2000 plus years of history that they had Jewish history that they had missed out on. So at one point uh, in, in one of the school classes, while they're still in Ethiopia, they're told of, uh, you know, the destruction of the second temple, uh, the temple going back 2000 years to the time of Herod and Jesus. And they're like, what do you mean the second temple? What happened to the first one? And like, what do you mean the first, the first temple was destroyed. Uh, you know, 2,500 years ago, and, and they started crying and they tore their clothes. They didn't know. They wow. still believed in a Jerusalem where the temple was standing, the temple of Solomon. That was Jerusalem for them. And so that, that spirit is, is, is touched every society, every civilization. And so the more we uncover in the city of David, the more people want to come and connect with that with the roots of, of who we are as a people, we may be different in terms of faith and, and, and our skin color and whatever else, but there's certain things, certain values, certain ideals that have come out of Jerusalem that, that really unite us all. And I think people want to connect with that. They want to connect with their roots and all of our roots or for so many of us, our roots are Jerusalem, if not physically, then spiritually and, and culturally. And I think that's what city of David represents an opportunity to, not just connect with the past, but connect with the past in a way that's relevant for the present and, and also God willing for the future. Zev, for, for the pilgrims that are making their journey back to the Holy Land, maybe for the first time, is there a, uh, is there a place there or what would be the most popular or the most impacting part of their visit or the thing that they're coming away with the most? Well, let me tell you, I'll answer the question differently. Because as far as the, what's the most impactful when you visit the city of David, people ask me, you know, what's your favorite discovery? And it's like asking a parent, well, which, which, which one of your kids is your favorite? Right. And of course, like we all have one, but we're not supposed to say yeah, it. We won't, so, that's the quiet part. We won't tell anybody, Zev. Right. So, uh, but here's what I will tell you. Uh, there was a discovery in 2004. We have a tradition in our faith that says God has many messengers. And in 2004, the southern end of the city of David, there was a road. Beneath the road, there was a sewage pipe. And in 2004, that sewage pipe explodes. So now you have a big mess. 
So the municipality of Jerusalem has to send in construction crews to go and repair the sewage pipe. Uh, of course, Jerusalem is not just another municipality. And so in Jerusalem, and specifically the city of David, which is not just another part of Jerusalem, you don't just send in construction crews, you also send in archaeologists. And so the archaeologists are supervising, the bulldozers and dump trucks are doing their thing, and they begin to hear scraping and scratching. It doesn't sound right. They clear everyone out, and it turns out that in repairing the sewage pipe, the construction crews had inadvertently uncovered a set of 2,000-year-old stone steps. The only other set of steps the archaeologists understood in Jerusalem that looked just like those were the southern steps, the steps leading up to the southern ascent of the Temple Mount with deep significance to Jews and Christians alike. And so they said, well, what are these lower steps? And they realized they discovered the steps leading down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, oh, wow. I don't have to tell you and your listeners the significance to Christians of the Pool of Siloam. I can say that the Bible says that there's three times during the year when all of Israel would have to go on pilgrimage up to the temple on the Temple Mount. We're talking about Passover. We're talking about the Festival of Weeks. We're talking about the ta Festival of Tabernacles. And before you can go up to the temple, you have to wash, bathe, cleanse, purify. The historian Josephus said that 2,000 years ago, say on Passover, we're on Tabernacles, which we're going to celebrate next week. You would have had nearly 3 million people going up to the temple. Now, before that, they would have had to go and purify. The Pool of Siloam was the size 2,000 years ago of two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Why so big? To accommodate the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pilgrims 2,000 years ago that would be going up to the temple. So then the archaeologist said, if now we know where the Pool of Siloam is in the city of David, then they said, how did all those millions of pilgrims get from the pool all the way up that half mile journey to the temple atop the Temple Mount? And so they widened the excavation. And what they uncovered is literally being excavated as we speak. It's not open to the public. Darren, we got to go see it uh, together, but not open to the public. They uncovered the pilgrimage road. Wow. The road that yeah. my ancestors and your ancestors 2,000 years ago that they would have walked on when they went up from the Pool of Siloam all the way up to the temple. I call it the biblical superhighway. And in yeah. just a few years time, God willing, you're going to have millions and millions of people literally able to walk in the footsteps of the Bible. Are you saying that's being rebuilt right now? Like reconstructed? No, 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 no. not rebuilt. We don't reconstruct, Un we don't Uncovered. We, we uncover. Right. Meaning the actual flagstones yeah. that your ancestors and mine walked 2000 years ago. That's what's being uncovered. It's not where archaeologists find some stone and like, oh, let's put this over here. This will look really cool. And, and, and let's like put some fake stones also and work those in. No, 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 no. Everything they're finding is the original. Preserved. Preserved. We're, we're uncovering it. Preserved. And, but it, even the pres preservation is minimal. It's amazing the 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 quality that these stones are still uh found in from 2000 years ago uh it's impressive by by 2020 standards wow. and it, you know i was, was asked remarkable yeah uh, when i so full disclosure when i went to city of david um i knew about you from our, our mutual friend don miller and, and dave ramsey but the i was super stoked about 
Hezekiah's tunnel. That that's what I uh, whatever. Call me dumb because it's not inaccurate, but. I actually thought that's kind of what City of David was. We go in there, you go through the tunnel, and it's super awesome, and I was super stoked. And man, like that was like going to like Six Flags and thinking that like the kitty ride was like the at the the best ride. Like when you took us to the Pool of Siloam, right? And then when we walked that like like we walked on that road, and, and you pointed out like this is where the shops were. Yep. Um, there's this stand that you, you said um, the, the, as best you guys knew was where people would stand and make like political speeches from because it really. Or, or even religious, spiritual, uh, you know, a podium. It's the only one of its kind found in Jerusalem. It's found along the pilgrimage road. And you could imagine that someone 2000 years ago who had a, would have had a religious message, an ethical message, a political message they wanted to preach and share with the masses. That's where they could have done it from. And, you know, I, I've been asked, you know, I, in particular by a senator not long ago, he says to me, what, what are the chances that Jesus walked on this road? I said, listen, senator, I don't want to tell you stories. L let me uh, give you a conservative estimate. I said, the likelihood that he walked on this road is 100%. Yeah. He, said, he says, just how do you know? I said, well, it's very simple. I said, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was Jewish. He was in Jerusalem with all the Jews. He would have gone to the Pool of Siloam with all the Jews back then, purified himself, gone up along the pilgrimage road through the city of David, and come out up on the Temple Mount to go to the temple. Now, we know the Pool of Siloam in the city of David is 100% the Pool of Siloam. We know the pilgrimage road running through the city of David is 100% the pilgrimage road from 2,000 years ago. And we know the Temple Mount is 100% the same Temple Mount. It's, it's all 100%. Wow. So whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, I mean, this is literally walking in the footsteps of the Bible. And, and again, it's not simply a matter of faith. It's a matter of fact. It's real. You could see it. You could touch it. And just to contrast that, you know, have either of you ever been to the pyramids in Egypt? Not yet, buddy, but it's on my list. What, what about the Colosseum in Rome? Yes. Okay. So let's take those two, for instance, two of the great wonders of the world. So someone goes to the, to the pyramids in Egypt. You say, wow, look at, look at what was possible 4,000 years ago. But then you say, well, where are the pharaohs today? The answer is museums, history books. Then you go to Rome and you see the Colosseum. You say, wow, look at the might, the majesty of the great Roman Empire. Where is the great Roman Empire today? Museums, history books. Yeah. You come to Jerusalem. You walk along the pilgrimage road and it's not once upon a time, there was a place called Jerusalem. There was a place called the city of David. There were Jews, there were Christians once upon a time. And that's it. The amazing thing about the pilgrimage road in the city of David is once it's open to the public, the people who will be able to walk on that road are the same people who walked on it 2000 years ago, worshiping the same God, speaking the same language, having the same customs and traditions and festivals as their ancestors did 2000 years ago. Where do you have that today? And the yeah, answer right. is you don't have that anywhere else. And that's why I tell people, and I, I always invite people to, to challenge me on this. I believe the most significant half mile in the world to the most amount of people can be found in the city of David, stretching from the Pool of Siloam up through the city of David along the pilgrimage road, coming out by the Temple Mount. 
I do not believe you can find another half mile with as much significance to as many people as that half mile stretching through the city of David. So that's a question that I wanted to ask you specifically because, I mean, you're right. Like when I was in Rome with my wife just last year, and, and it hit me that in that Colosseum that, you know, that was a place where Christians were actually killed, right? Um, and Jews. Yeah, yeah, yes. And I, it, it hit me that I just paid 20 bucks to walk on their grave, basically. Not on the Christians, but on the graves of the Romans who had done it. They're gone, long gone. The paganism, the war, you know, that's gone. But we're still here, you know, paid, you know, like I said, 20 bucks to walk on his grave. And that said, like, what's happening right now in your world, um, the dig that's happening right now is uh, is not without controversy in some corners of the world. Uh, I, I have my own personal opinions of why I think that it's bogus, but that that's for another time. But why is this so important to, because it's to think about it, like it's actually like it, they'll find if anybody Googles it, you'll see that it's under a neighborhood. Um, there's a tunnel being dug underneath where you guys are actually, and you're doing so much to protect the neighborhood that's above it. Uh, but underneath of that neighborhood, just like underneath your visitor center was like the, the, this palace underneath this neighborhood is this road you're talking about. Why is it so important to dig underneath this, these neighborhoods, even at great risk politically, great risk with UN and some of the opinions that float around about what you guys are doing? Why is it so important to continue this dig? I think the reason why it's so important is Jerusalem is not just another place. Jerusalem is the bedrock in many ways of certainly Western civilization and so much of, 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 of the world. And, and you have billions and billions of people who have a deep connection to Jerusalem, who want to connect with that heritage. Now, there's a challenge because if you take the modern day neighborhood of the city of David, there's a challenge because you have a neighborhood above it, a mixed Jewish Muslim neighborhood. And beneath it, you have antiquities, old stuff, right? That has significance to billions of people. And so what do you do? Billion, by the way, end, billions of people, right? Billions. billions. Uh, again, it, you know, you take Jews, Christians, Muslims, right? Billions of people and the Jews throw in a couple million, right? But, but anyway, but billions of take. people, right? Give or take. Uh, and, and it's an amazing thing that you have a neighborhood. So now what do you do? You have a few options. You could say, well, because there's this neighborhood here, let's apply eminent domain, give every family in the neighborhood a million dollars, let's say, and see you later. Uh, except that's not gonna fly for political reasons, religious reasons. So then you could say, okay, well you have a neighborhood and since the neighborhood's not moving, we'll just don't uncover Jerusalem's heritage. Well, really? You're not gonna uncover the heritage that has significance to billions of people uh, because of a small neighborhood? Well, okay, that's also not a good option. So how do you find the best option? It's, it's not a perfect option, but the best option, which is to preserve the modern and uncover the ancient. And so that's what we're doing in the city of David, where the excavations are, are being conducted in a way that preserve the modern neighborhood while allowing archeologists to uncover Jerusalem's heritage going back thousands of years. Now, there are people who are opposed to it, but the reason why they're opposed to it is not because they don't like the archaeology. The reason they're opposed to it is because what's being unearthed is ruining their story. 
Because the story, sadly, that some people in the United Nations and, and elsewhere, what they're saying is Jews and Christians don't have any heritage in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is Islamic. Now, I'll be the first person to say that I recognize that Jerusalem is a place that Muslims hold deep significance for. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't threaten me. I can acknowledge that. I would just ask that you could acknowledge that the Muslims acknowledge the significance that Jerusalem has for others, for Jews and for Christians, and for Christians to recognize the significance to Jews and Muslims and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, let the politicians do whatever they need to do. But from a perspective of faith and history, I can acknowledge that Jerusalem has a place of significance for people other than my own. But sadly, in the United Nations and, and certain parts of the Muslim world, they're not able to do that. And they say that the Bible is not real, that Jews and Christians were never in Jerusalem. And then what's the problem? Literally every single day in the excavations taking place in the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, we are uncovering antiquities that show not simply as a matter of faith, but as a matter of fact, our shared heritage in Jerusalem. Now, for most people, that's a reason to celebrate. But for some people, that's a nightmare. And that's why an excavation of the magnitude of the pilgrimage road, running from the Pool of Siloam all the way up to the footsteps of the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, the Southern Steps, for those people, the thought that in a few years' time, you will have millions and millions of people every year literally walking in the footsteps of the pilgrimage road, that's game over for them. Because it will be clear to the smallest child that the words of the Bible are true, that Jerusalem's biblical heritage is true, that our shared heritage going back thousands of years in Jerusalem, you could see it, you could touch it, you could walk on it. And, and what are you going to do then? And that is, it's, it's sad because there are people who literally have built their whole story on a lie. And, and that lie, the emperor's clothing, the emperor is naked. It's being proven day after day in the city of David. And uh, my, my hope and prayer is when we look at what's going on in the region today with the Abraham Accords and, and peace uh, between Israel and some of its neighbors like the UAE and Bahrain, is that it doesn't have to be the way it's been that there is a way for us to have mutual respect for each other, uh, for our, our, our shared history and also our different histories and say, you know what, uh, we can celebrate what we have in common and we can also celebrate what we have different from each other uh, and, and create a, a future that uh, we don't have to be threatened by each other's differences, that I can respect that my neighbors have a certain connection to Jerusalem that is different from mine, but it doesn't have to undermine my own. And, and hopefully that is, is what these excavations can lead towards, where we can all celebrate Jerusalem's history, even if we celebrate it somewhat differently from each other. So Zev, I, I think you're the right guy to ask this question based on everything you just said. I mean, the fact that you are, you're Jewish by faith, you're Jewish by birth, you're a citizen of Israel. What would you then perceive as the greatest challenge facing Israel right now, today? I can only answer from my own perspective, not, not representing City of David or, or anybody else. I'm a big fan of, of an, another author, does not live in Tennessee, but uh, he's still a good person. He, he lives uh, out in California. His name is Jocko Willink. Uh, he's oh, written dude. a number of books. Uh, I want him to move to Tennessee so bad. He might follow Ben Shapiro one day. Yeah, just, he might. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, leave California for Tennessee. Uh, so, so Jocko Willink, he's a former uh, Navy SEAL commander and, and done 
all sorts of uh, uh, amazing uh, acts of service for, for the United States and, and in a certain sense for, for the world. And he has a very uh, central teaching to what he talks about, which is called extreme ownership, which is when you look at a situation that is not the way it should be, don't start saying, well, it's this person's fault and that person's fault and it's because this happened and that happened. Look in the mirror first. What could I do differently? What could I have done differently? And what could I still do differently now to bring about a different outcome? So when I think what are the challenges, the biggest challenge facing Israel today, I think it's not our neighbors and it's not the region and it's not, uh, you know, lack of natural resources and all that kind of stuff. I believe that we have to decide as a, as a country and as a people and as a nation, who are we? What are we about? Why are we in this world? Meaning Israel is a small little country surrounded by a lot of people who still, for the most part, would rather us not be here. Uh, some of them actively and some of them passively uh, would rather Israel as a Jewish state not exist. And we're here. And the question is, what are we meant to be doing here? Are we just a, a haven, a refuge from anti-Semitism and the Holocaust and persecution? Or do the Jewish people have a unique mission to, to play in the world that can only fully be expressed as sovereign in our own nation? Hmm. And I honestly don't think as a nation we, we have clarity on that. Uh, I think many in Israel view the country as essentially a Hebrew-speaking America that essentially we want to have Western values just, you know, with, with Jewish holidays and, and, you know, a Jewish army and a Jewish government and we speak Hebrew. And so we're culturally kind of Jewish and Israeli, but we want to still be Western. Uh, and that, and I'm not saying there's not a place for that. There's not a value in that, but that's one camp. And another camp is saying, well, we didn't come back after 2000 years of exile to reestablish sovereignty in our uh, ancient homeland to just be another country uh, you know there are 192 or three countries in the world uh, whether or not there's one jewish one okay if it's just another country well what's the big deal is it really worth all the trouble unless you say well no we actually have a unique mission a unique purpose that the other 192 countries are not going to do but only we can it's our unique mission and I think that we kind of struggle between those two uh, camps and, and we don't have full clarity on that yet. And I think as a result, uh, when it comes to some of the policies that we have as a nation, both within and without, uh, we don't have real clarity uh, and, and conviction uh, in that sense. And I think that that causes not only us, you know, some uh, tension and, and, and issues, but I think also it, it creates some, some tension for our neighbors because if we spoke in a more clear voice where our neighbors understood, here's who we're dealing with, they would say, okay, we get who these people are and therefore we understand why they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. But when we don't have that clarity internally, uh, it creates confusion externally. Or to quote Donald Miller, if you confuse, you, you lose. lose. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I think we're, we're still working out some of, those, some of those details of our story. You know, wh who are we? What's our story? Where are we trying to get to? And I think as we become clearer and clearer on that, uh, it will bring, bring blessing not only for Israel, but, but God willing for our neighbors, the region, and, and for the whole world. Hmm. Man, I think... Uh... When, when Miller gets done helping you guys with your message, it might be good for America to take some of that same 
lessons from you. I have a question that I, I had for you that, um, that I just was curious because we, when we were there, you, we, we, had, we just had such a great time, by the way. Your team, your hospitality um, was just first class. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we talked about was you growing up in Jersey, you weren't really exposed to many uh, Christians. Um, and you, you said it was, I hope you don't mind me saying this because it was actually really funny. I wasn't even remotely insulted. I was actually really entertained that you said uh, something on the lines. Yeah, when we saw a Christian, we just, nobody really said it. But we just thought it was kind of like if you saw a snake in the road, you just walked to the other side. You, it's not that you didn't want it. You just didn't want to be near it. And, but I thought that was hilarious because the world I grew up in of Christianity, we looked to you as like the chosen people, like, bro, we had like a shofar in our church. Like nobody knew how to do it. We didn't know what to do with it, but we had one. <laughs> um, like it was in Nebraska. We like, nobody even knew how to play it, but it, but it looked good hanging on the shelf. Um, but so here you go from, you're uh, a New Jersey born and bred. You end up in Jerusalem. And now like, I'm guessing the vast majority of the people you're working with, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but are now Christians. And Dude, what's that like? Like, what was the, let me ask you this way. What was the most surprising thing about Christians that you were surprised by? I know this is a broad statement, right? Because you're talking everybody from John Hagee, right, to me. So there's a broad swath inside of Christianity. But like, what was the thing that was most surprising to you about working with Christians? So I grew up in what could be called a Jewish bubble. I went to, I lived in a Jewish neighborhood. I had non-Jewish neighbors, but on the whole, you know, a lot of Jewish neighbors uh, around me went to, you know, a traditional Orthodox Jewish synagogue, went to Jewish day school, uh, then went to Jewish high school and uh, Yeshiva University in New York. Uh, I was basically around Jews uh, in the New York, New Jersey area my whole life growing up. Now, when I would see, uh, you know, non-Jews, Christians, whoever, be polite, you know, how's it going? You know, good morning, Merry Christmas, whatever but no real relationships. And I figured once I moved to Israel after graduating college, it's like, all right, well, that's it. Now I'm living in Israel. Uh, I made it, you know, 22, 23 years in the U.S. Now I'm in Israel. I'm never really going to have meaningful relationships with Christians because if I didn't have it in the U.S., I'm certainly not going to have it in Israel. <laughs> uh, Israel's like, in a certain sense, the ultimate Jewish bubble. And what ends up happening when I come to the city of David is that my work in the city of David is primarily working with uh, those who are involved in shaping, let's say, public opinion, primarily in the United States. And more often than not, those people are certainly not Jewish uh, and oftentimes Christians. And I found more and more I began working uh, with Christians. And as you said, I'll just, uh, you know, kind of uh, fill out the story that, 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 that you had mentioned that I shared with you. You know, growing up in the United States, in the United States, as far as how it's been uh, towards the, it, the Jews living there, ha, has been one of the greatest countries in the world in, 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 in the last 2,000 years. Uh, it's been a real blessing for the Jewish people living in America. At the same time, when you're a minority, and a real one, a small minority, there's only, you know, a few million Jews in the world, and, and with the complicated history that the Jewish people have shared with, with Christians, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a certain feeling of, you know what, better to be safe than sorry, or 
let's uh, you know trust but verify. And, and so our relationships were not, you know, not hostile, not antagonistic, but just, I don't really know what the intentions when I was growing up in the U.S. I didn't know what the intention of my Christian neighbors was towards me. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know if they secretly wanted to convert me or if they were being nice to me because they wanted to convert me or if they were being nice to me just to be nice to me or if they weren't particularly friendly was it because they hate Jews or just because they're not particularly friendly uh, and you know there was enough uh, historical baggage to look back on that pretty much whatever you wanted to read into it you could find and and so the way I kind of related to it growing up was as you said if I'm walking down the street today when I see a snake I'm not an expert in snakes I don't know if it's a harmless snake or if it's a poisonous snake and so you <laughs> know what I'll just cross the street and, and avoid it and this way I don't have to find out and so it's the same thing, you know, growing up around Christians. It was, I don't know what your intentions are. I don't know if you're the kind that hate Jews or love Jews or love Jews because you want to convert them or, or the reason why you like Jews and want them to go to Israel is because that somehow is going to bring the fulfillment of the Messiah coming and for you guys. And, and we don't know any of that stuff. Now, fast forward and all of a sudden I'm working with Christians. And on the whole, I started to see that, wait a minute. They're, they're good people. They're nice people. And as far as I could tell, the vast majority of them, they're not after my soul. They're not trying to convert me. And over the last couple of years, I've actually been able to establish some, some very real and meaningful relationships uh, with Christians uh, in, you know, some of the, you know, my closest friends today are actually Christians who, who you know, we share very, very personal, real real uh real life with and we we kind of go through our walk together and as you might call it fellowship together Mike, and, yeah. uh, right it, it, it's and for me it's been very special uh to be able to uh widen that perspective we've been able to have in my home uh a number of of of, of christians over the years spend shabbat with us come over for a shabbat meal we we actually almost had you guys come I know, for dude. shabbat meal my one regret of Israel is that we did not make that happen. I'm super bummed, but we'll make it up at some point, hopefully. Yeah. So, so to me, it's, it's been a, a real blessing, you know, at, at the same time, there's always a, um, like a fine line of, you know, celebrating what we have in common, celebrating our differences as well. Uh, at the same time, not like I, I believe that I have to come from the perspective of, I'm a Jew. I believe uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the what you might call the Old Testament. Uh, and obviously, I don't believe in the Christian scriptures. I don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah or any of those things. And as long as we could agree to disagree on certain things, we could have a great relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, one lesson I learned from from Dennis Prager, he has what's called the broken tile theory. So if uh, so if, let's just do an experiment very quickly, right? What do you guys see here? I'm holding up a piece of paper, a white piece of paper. What do you see? Nothing. Well, what am I holding? White piece of paper. White piece right of answer? paper. Okay. Yep. Right now, hold on a second. It was pretty close to the camera, so I wasn't. I couldn't really right. see. Okay, hold on. Now let's see if this works. What What do you see now? Can you see something? I see a dot. Okay. Excellent. Perfect. So. What percentage of the paper would you say this dot makes up? 
Mo's the numbers guy. What do you think? 1%. 1%. Excellent. Let's go 1%. So Dennis Baker says his broken <laughs> tile theory. What is it? We are wired to find difference. We are wired to find fault. So even though 99% of the paper is white, we're focusing on that little dot that's different. So I'll just share one story. I, 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 uh, I was invited to dinner in the home of someone I met from the city of David uh, and, and in the U.S., in, in, uh, in Virginia. Very sweet, sweet guy. And his family had never met a Jew before. And so I come for dinner and they buy all this kosher food and it's very sweet. And we have this dinner and, and they, they had all these questions for me, the wife, the children. And I said to them, you could ask whatever you want. And one of the kids, she must've been, I don't know, six, seven years old, sweet girl. She says to me, well, she has, a, and I see she has a question and her mom's like, no, no, you can't ask him that. And she's, I'm like, no, it's okay. You could ask whatever you want. She's like, why don't you believe in Jesus? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, what, what can I say to this girl that, I mean, I have my reasons why I don't, but I, I don't need to, you know, unload that on this sweet six-year-old girl and explain to her why from the perspective of my faith, there's no reason that I would believe in Jesus. So, but, but I want to give her an answer and I want to respect the question and I want to respect her. And so I took out the piece of paper. And I did what I just did with you. I said, what do you see here? A white piece of paper. And I made a little dot in the middle. I said, what do you see? Everyone said, we see the dot. I said, you know what that dot is? I said, that dot is Jesus. I said, we don't agree on the dot. I said, but you see all the white stuff? The white stuff we agree on, right? I said, if you take the, the foundations of both our faiths, which is the Hebrew Bible, we agree on all that. Okay, you guys have some extra stuff that, that we don't have. And that's fine. You guys will believe what you want to believe. But there's so much that we agree on, right? We have all the white on the paper that we could agree on uh, of, the, of the original Hebrew Bible. We agree on all that. We agree on the yeah. values uh, that we live our lives by, uh, that everyone was created in the image of God to treat people as, as, as we would want to be treated, uh, you know, with, with dignity and respect and decency and we share all those values. Yeah, okay, we have some differences, but let's celebrate what we have in common. And so I said to her, I said, you know, we may never agree on the dot, but we could agree on everything else. Yeah. And I think that that's, I don't know, I, I experienced you that way. Um, and it's just part of the hospitality, I guess, of the experience that I, that I experienced from you there. And, you know, coming when you talk about that complicated past, um, you know, the Christian Bible, you know, Paul, um, uh, you know, former Pharisee who, who killed a lot of Christians before he became a Christian, he wrote the words, uh, it, it's, uh, so the gospel story of Romans, right? They call it the Romans Road. I'm sure you've had somebody present it to you, but, uh, but right in the middle of it is like chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, and it actually talks about Israel, and all Israel will be saved, chapter 11, verse 26. It's like this promise of that God's promise to a guy named Abraham still stands. And like that, you know, that part of the dot, whatever it is, like that part of it, we agree with, like I, he kept his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that God is a covenant maker. He's a covenant keeper. And I'm, you know, look, I'm a, I'm just a white kid from Nebraska. I'm, I'm Jewish from the waist down, if you know what I'm saying. But like, <laughs> but the, 
Oh, I'm sorry. That's probably out of line, wasn't it? I'm sorry. Um, I, I know this, that the, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob um, has kept his promise to people called Israel. And um, it's, it's, an, it's an inspiration to my faith. Um, and I'm a, a critical thinking guy. Uh, my faith in God was, you know, was shaken 20 some years ago. Uh, these days they call it deconstruction. It's kind of this sexy thing that uh, liberal progressives do. It's actually, in their words, it's actually demolition. They're not deconstructing anything. They're just destroying people's faith. But the science pieces of it, archaeology, uh, and continues to. When I see that, I'm like, oh, man, this is, it, d- does it prove the validity of the uh, the authenticity as far as the, you know, the inerrancy of scripture, whatever? Maybe not, but it does prove that at least what I'm reading is accurate. And that's a big deal to me that if we, yeah. if these, you know, in, in our case, 66 books and years like 49, like the, that are, that are continue to be proven accurate is, is a big bolster for, uh, for, you know, for my faith it has been. Um, we just have a couple minutes left, man. This went so fast. I knew it was going to, I told Mo, like, this is going to go fast because Zev is just like a vitamin B12 shot, man, just full of energy. And you sent me a letter and, you know, maybe you sent to a few of them uh, just a few um, weeks ago. And in that letter, you were talking about um, your penmanship is not so great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> well, it's handwritten. I mean, it's that's hard to find these. Okay, days. Let's well, actually, let's say that though. Let's it is handwritten. So let's give you that. But you know, I just, it took me a minute, but you were talking about this ring um, engraved with four words. You remember this? You probably write a lot of letters. Um, uh, it was, uh, so King Solomon, he was ruling Jerusalem, uh, asked for a jeweler to design a special ring, which would serve as a constant reminder perspective uh, navigating life's ups and downs and the, the, the ring, this is, these are your words engraved with only uh, four words when looked upon in high spirits, like we remind him. And those, what, what were the four words was this too shall pass. Do you remember that? Do you remember writing that? I hope so. I mean, it, 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 it takes a long time to write letters. People I know. Sorry. Well, well, I've been, I didn't know how many you were writing. You've been, you've been locked up. Right. So, but that, like the ring and stuff, like from that, is that something from the Hebrew Bible or is that a find that you guys made? Like, I, because I've never heard so that. The, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, let's call it a legend. Okay. I'll that take it. The Bible, the Bible says in, in, uh, in first Kings four twenty nine that King Solomon was the, the wisest of all men. And there are many different ways that the Bible articulates that wisdom. There's this famous story of, of the two women arguing over the child and, uh, and who, how does he decide who's gonna who the real mother is? Uh, if you don't know that story, it, it's know, worth, yeah. uh, w- worth checking out. Um, but uh, you know, a legend, not in the Bible, but but that the the sages attribute to him is a story that that he's ruling in Jerusalem, and he says, "Look, there are ups and downs in life, and and when I'm on an up, I want to be able to humble myself." And when I'm feeling down, I want to realize, you know what? Like, it's not the end of the world. And so he asked the jeweler to design a special ring that would incorporate both messages in one ring. And so what the jeweler designed was a ring that had four words on it, which was, this too shall pass. That when in high spirits, you look at this ring and it humbles you. And the opposite is true as well. And as I wrote in the letter, we're, we're living in complicated times. 
we're, we're, we're living in, in times, you know, with, with the coronavirus and lots of uncertainty health-wise, economically, politically. It's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And one of the things that I included with the letter was a, a small piece of pottery from the city of David. And the, the idea, the, the inspiration for me was that, you know, you think about that piece of pottery and what it's seen, so to speak, over thousands of years of history of so many ups and downs in Jerusalem. And yet here we are in 2020, and, and despite the corona pandemic and the current lockdown that Israel is under as we speak, Israel is still a country that in the grand scheme of history, we're, we're doing pretty well. Yep. Um, we've certainly been through worse times than this, and, and we'll be through better times uh, than this also in the future. And so it was just a message of this too shall pass. We're going to get through this. Better days are ahead for us all. Um, I believe it. Uh, you know, there are challenges certainly, but I believe that, that the future will, we will get through this. And sometimes we just need to uh, put things in, in uh, proper perspective. And uh, yeah. that's what I tried to do with that note and that piece of pottery. Well, it's, it definitely spoke to me, Matt. I was... Um, have you read a book called Dominion by a guy named Tom Holland? Have not. I'll send you a link, man. It's, uh, I, I think it's one of the most important books written in modern times. But this guy goes back through history, I mean, thousands of years, to basically show that where we are as a modern society, as far as any, like whether it's women's rights, human rights, was all born out of Judeo uh, Christian values. He literally had, you know, had the Roman pagan culture won, had the human secularists won, there would have been a whole different set of values for us. And the value that I see in what you're saying, if this too shall pass, is that he goes through the history of when the temple was ransacked, right? The first time and then the second time. And, but somehow there's this thread of the Jewish people that has survived through it all that, you know, one of the things in, you know, I know it's from your the Hebrew Bible, but we certainly claim it and we do it a lot. And that is, you know, Psalm 122, 6, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And know this, for all the good, the whatever, the bad, the ugly of the world, you've got a whole lot of Christians in America that pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, seeing the, some of the stuff practically happening with, uh, moving the embassy, you know, these treaties that are happening, you know, there's a, obviously there's a lot of trickiness in that, but, but we just, that's something we definitely want. We want it for you. And you know, man, I want it for your wife and for your kids. Um, yeah. I want that Shalom uh, there. The world needs a, a peaceful Jerusalem. You know, the world we, needs we, a strong. We, we want it. We want it for you because what we believe in our faith is Yes, Jerusalem is, is, in a certain sense, our capital, our home. But if we do what we're supposed to do, it will be a blessing for the world. Uh, and, and to the extent that we're not there yet is in part because we're not there yet. We're not yet fully embracing uh, our mission, our purpose. And so, God willing, what, when Jerusalem is, is fully rebuilt, it will be good for Israel, but it'll be good for the world also. And, and that's, that's really our mission, which is to be a blessing to the world, to be, to be a light unto the nations. And that's what we want to do. The Jerusalem is the headquarters for that. But if we do it right, uh, everyone wins. It's yeah. not just yeah. this, you know, a Jewish end game. We, we want it to be a blessing for, for the whole world. And just, you know, you spoke about how uh, there's so much Christian support for what's happening in Israel today. 
I'll just share a story that a Christian pastor, I recently spoke to a group and at the end of the, the end of the talk, really wasn't in, in the context of anything I spoke about. He said, Zev, I, I just, on behalf of, of, of the Christian people, the Christian faith, uh, I, I want to apologize to you for, hmm. you know, everything that the, you know, that happened in the, the, the history between the Christianity and the Jewish people. And so uh, I said to him, I said, I said, I don't know if I can accept your apology. He said, hmm. why not? I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, have you personally ever done any of those things that you're apologizing for? I said, no. I said, then, then, then you don't need to apologize. Hmm. I said, you know, the Bible, the Bible is very clear that the, the sins of the parents uh, don't go down onto the children unless the children keep doing the sins of the parents. If the children don't change the ways, okay, well then they're going to, yeah. they're going to have the consequences of that. But if the children learn the lessons from their parents and say, you know what, my parents did something that they shouldn't have done. I'm not going to do that. Well, then they're going to not be, not only will they not be punished, they're going to be rewarded. They're going to be blessed. And so I said to this person, I said, just because there was a painful, very long period of, of uh, persecution in the Christian world towards the Jewish people, that doesn't mean that that's what has to be today. And it certainly doesn't mean that's what has to be tomorrow. And as you said, there's so many examples today where uh, Christians are choosing a different path, uh, a path of reconciliation uh, with the Jewish people. And I think that God willing, that's something that also will br bring blessing to the whole world. I, I think the more people that can connect together uh, in celebration of, of God's word, uh, that is only a positive. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate when, when we got to sit together, I, I remember we probably spent the first almost hour or so just talking. Uh, yeah. I, I, we'd known each other for like 30 seconds and, and we just start talking. And I remember at some point I'm like, what time do you guys have until you're like, whatever. And so we just sat, just sat in the city of David at the entrance, uh, just talking about life and faith and this and that. And eventually we're like, all right, let's go see some stuff. But uh, for me, the opportunity to meet people like yourself, who, again, for me growing up, and even until I was probably about 35, 36 years old, I never really had any meaningful conversations with any Christians. And for me today to be able to be having a conversation like this uh, and, and God willing to be able to connect again, uh, please God, uh, sooner rather than later in, in Jerusalem again in person, uh, it, it's a big privilege. And uh, it's one that I feel blessed to, to be able to have in my life. And uh, I'm grateful for uh, your friendship and for all the, the work that you do. And uh, so wow. I, well, I appreciate you. Well, we're so grateful you took the time. And I know you took time away from your family tonight. It's, it's, it's night where you are. Uh, what's the best way for people to find you online? You've got your YouTube channel. And I've, pro I've posted a few of your videos in our private Facebook group for our church. But what's the best way to find a City of David, Zev, uh, Zev Orenstein, like just go to cityofdavid.org. I mean, the, be the best thing, go to cityofdavid.org.il. You can find our website. But I would say the best, best way, if you want to connect with the City of David and see what's going on, just subscribe to our YouTube channel, City of David, Ancient Jerusalem. You'll find us. Uh, and especially one of the blessings uh, of, of the, the recent uh, you know, corona pandemic is we moved so much of our stuff over to digital that we just keep pumping out so much content about the discoveries that are being made that affirm the words of the Bible. I've started this series 
uh, where I release a two-minute video each week called City of David, Bringing the Bible to Life, where I just take an archaeological discovery connected with the City of David uh, and show how it affirms uh, what the Bible says. Uh, and so I would say the best thing, just, just subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, and you could just get all those videos that are coming out highlighting the discoveries. And of course, uh, once it does become possible again to, to, to visit, uh, come see it for yourself. Videos are great and websites are nice. Uh, but yeah. when you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life, you just don't get it anywhere else. Uh, and so come and experience yeah. it for yourself. It's true. And we are, I mean, uh, we're working right now to put something in place to get a, a team over there. I, I, I'm uh, excited about that opportunity. We'll get some dates and, uh, and we'll, it'll be the first and it'll be the last place we stop. We'll be city of David and the book in for it. Zev, would you thank your wife uh, and your kids for me for being with us yeah, tonight? Of course. And um, yeah, we, we're so grateful and hopefully um, sooner than later, man, uh, we'll get to see you and, and see you here too. I, I really am excited for when you get to come, hang out with us it, it was, it was uh, one of my I think it was the first trip I, I lost between March and July uh, four trips to the US the first trip in March I was supposed to be heading out to uh, to, to to Tennessee and uh, that's still uh, on hold but but God willing uh, God willing soon yeah. If you do make it to Nashville, you can come visit the Parthenon. Did you know that? The Parthenon is here in Nashville. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, a recreation of it, of course. Right? We made a Look, I'll, I'll say I'll say this. There, there's something, and I don't know exactly. I, I, I even think we discussed it when, uh, when, when we were together in City of David. There's something special about Tennessee. You guys have a lot of just really good people who are in the – uh, for lack of a better term, personal development space, whether that's spiritually, financially, uh, emotionally, you know, whether, whether it's people like yourself or people like Donald Miller or Dave Ramsey or Ian Morgan Cron or, you know, someone like a Bill Haslam, the former governor, who's, who's a very special person. Uh, I don't know what it is about Tennessee, but Tennessee is just like the personal development capital, certainly of the United States, I don't know, maybe the world, but, but certainly the United States. Uh, just a, a small concentration of a lot of really good people, uh, not just making themselves better, but but making the people around them uh, exponentially better. I, I mean, Dave Ramsey uh, just is is one example. He the reason my family is not in debt is because of Dave Ramsey. I I got connected to him living in Israel, uh, but but you know he. Uh, he changed my life and my family's life and hopefully for generations. My kids know we don't go into debt because of Dave Ramsey, no student loans or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, so much of, of, of how I present the city of David is, is based on, uh, you know, the teaching of, of Donald Miller and the story brand framework. And uh, it's just a lot of good people in Tennessee and, and uh, you're among them. And uh, I don't know what it is, but whatever you guys are doing, just, just keep it up because you're all making the world uh, a better place. Well, you're kind, man. It started out just with some country hillbillies, right? And somehow the Lord is, I mean, Ben Shapiro's moving here, right? I mean, it's, it's well, what, what, Once the Jews start coming, you know that you made it. We're just, <laughs> right. Well, hey, Jay Seculo's here, right? So they got Shapiro coming, so right behind him. Hey, dude, thank you, man. Good night. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch and see. hopefully yeah, see you very soon. All right. All right. God bless.